Hi, I'm your host, Lillian Yang. And I'm your host, Fakri Shafai, and you are listening to Food Nonfiction. It's the holiday season, so this is a heartwarming story. Hey, how you doing? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Not too bad, thanks. Can you hear me good? Yes, I can. Let us introduce you to Dan Johnstone, 28 years old, born in Edmonton, Alberta in 1987. Some people refer to me as, you know, a celebrity and all this, you know, a saint and all these other sort of nice names, but I'm just a normal guy. I'm just the average Joe Brown. So who is Dan Johnstone? Well, you could look him up. He has a website at danjohnstone.com. Or you could look him up on Wikipedia if you search Can Man Dan. Can Man Dan. That's his alter ego. Day job, construction. Evenings, weekends, and holidays? Fighting hunger. Right now, Dan is in the middle of his Feed Alberta tour. Hashtag Feed Alberta Tour. He's traveling across the province collecting donations of food and money in his fight against hunger. When we spoke, he had just gotten back from Fort McMurray, where he stood outside a grocery store from the time it opened until the time it closed for several days straight, sleeping in a trailer with the collected food at night. The temperature was 11 to 14 degrees Fahrenheit. In Celsius, that's 10 to 12 degrees below zero. He got an average of four to five hours of sleep at night. So how did you keep warm at night? You know, you, you don't really. I just bring the blankets from my bed, basically. Kind of cocoon myself and just curl up into a little ball and try to get as much sleep as you can. Because eventually after working like a 15, 16 hour day, loading the food in and out of the truck. You're kind of exhausted by day's end anyways. So how did Dan become Can Man Dan? This is his origin story, I guess you could call it. People always say that I grew up a little bit too too quick just because I had those burdens on, oh, oh man, we don't have food for the night. We can't pay the power bill, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, that's why I started working really, really young. Dan started a paper route when he was around 13 or 14 years old. I delivered papers before school started just to help make ends meet. My mother was a single mother. Uh, it was my brother and I along with her. And she worked two, three jobs, and she tried so hard to make ends meet. And, you know, it just wasn't plausible. You know, she didn't have the greatest education, so she didn't have the greatest job. And she just, well, she did what she could. She, like, she worked herself to the bone. Um, so after both of our efforts, we still can make ends meet. And so, yeah, we relied on a lot of social services. Growing up, Dan's family had to use many social services. So as soon as he could, he made a plan to give back. When I turned 18, got a good paying job and was done school. I said, well, let's, let's, let's start something. So I just do my own thing. And then when I was about 24, I started the whole Can Man Dan initiative. Before Dan became Can Man Dan, he was just some random guy going door to door asking for donations. I would uh, go collect uh, non-perishable foods, and after the weeks progressed, people would start helping me. They, uh, you know, strangers, my neighbors. There was something really special about Dan. He had what Simon Cowell would call the X factor. 
Uh, I'm Evan Schreau. I've been band friend for at least seven years. So as his best friend, how would you describe him? Whenever he's working on, uh, definitely a lot of happy people around, families, kids, parents, everything like that. Can you tell us one quirky or surprising thing about Dan? Oh, well, now I'm afraid of embarrassing him. He cares a lot about his hair. He'll, uh, <laughs> he'll be late. He'll be late to hang out because uh, he has to spike it up just right. I've noticed in the pictures his hair looks pretty good. Yeah. Whereas other charities were getting a success rate of roughly 40 to 60 percent of people giving donations during door-to-door campaigns, Dan was getting 80 to 100 percent. I'm not sure if it's just some sort of, uh, you know, charisma or something that I use. When I went, it seemed like it was almost like 80 to 100 percent. It was just we were getting it and getting it and right from the get-go. And this was when no one knew who he was. My first time I went out, I was nobody. It was just Dan Johnstone. No one knew who I was. Maybe a couple of my neighbors knew. But we just, the numbers he raised the very first time, I said, wow, this can be something tremendous. It can be something big. I was struggling to, to carry all the cans. That's how much food I was getting. I'm kind of imagining like a Santa Claus look. Like you had to carry a bunch of cans inside, I'm guessing a large bag. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and you know, that's kind of where I got the nickname, Can Man Dan. Um, <laughs> Because people would always see me carrying these, you know, these big, you know, sacks and bags of, of Campbell's soup and all this stuff. And then they're like, oh, the can man is back. Uh, and then my name's Dan, so I threw that on the end and the can man Dan was born. After can man Dan was born out of people seeing Dan around all the time carrying cans, Dan took his charity work to the next level. He started the campaign that puts him into the media spotlight year after year. The Moving Hunger Out campaign. The whole camp out idea kind of just came up. I was laying in bed one night. I was just thinking about what else can I do? Because like, I've done a couple smaller community events and they, they turned out. So I said, I want to do something big. And, you know, Christmas season, people are always giving and people are using the food bank. I said, you know, I'm just going to do an old-fashioned camp out. We'll see how it works out. The first camp out was in 2011 during the Christmas season. My expectations were a little bit low. Uh, just because really at that point, no one really knew who I was. So I didn't really think anyone would really care what I was doing. We raised, I think it was about 3,000 pounds of food and about $13,000. Every year after that has been an increase in what we're getting. How many people would that feed? They say the average person eats about five pounds of food a day. Now, I think that's a little bit high because this is also an American statistic. I'd say it's probably around three, maybe four at max. My name is Arianna Johnson, and I am the executive director of the Wood Buffalo Food Bank. So we're doing an episode about Can Man Dan. Uh, do you have a moment to tell us what you think of him and how he's helped out the food bank in Fort McMurray? Uh, yeah, just let me pull up the totals. Okay. I have them in front of me now. How has he helped out the food bank in Fort McMurray this year? He raised just over 4,100 pounds of food and just over $1,800. The Wood Buffalo Food Bank has had to cope with a 76% increase in the number of hampers given out this year as of the end of November compared to last year as of the end of November but they've only had a 40% increase in the amount of food donated. So Dan's donation has been an important one. So how many pounds of food or hampers of food are needed, say, in the month of December? We're expecting to do um, probably 
close to 500 hampers this month. So for our listeners um, that don't know what a hamper is, can you define a hamper? Yeah, so a hamper is different for every food food bank, but a hamper is what we give a client, right? And so every food bank um, runs a little bit differently and does their hampers a little bit differently. The Wood Buffalo Food Bank provides one hamper every 30 days up to six times a year for people who need it. Each hamper is meant to provide enough food for 30 days. So the hamper's size depends on the size of the family it's for. We have a hamper for a single person, and then we have a hamper for two people. Then our next hamper feeds up to four people, and the one um, beyond that feeds up to eight people. If there's more than eight people in a household, we'll then combine them. So if there's ten, we'll do a large hamper and a double hamper together. Um, And that hamper, we try really hard to provide a well-balanced variety of food, including perishable items, milk, eggs, margarine, ground beef, um, a poultry, potatoes and carrots in it, um, and sometimes a pork or a fish, and sometimes bread. Um, but then other than that, it has non-perishable items such as canned vegetables, canned meats, pastas, rices, things like that. This is the first year the Moving Hunger Out campaign has gone on the road. And that's why it's called the Feed Alberta Tour this year. Dan describes what it's like to do one of these campouts. It's, it's not the funnest job or the most prestigious. All you do is basically you just stand there uh, from the moment the store opens to the moment it closes. And the only time I actually really leave is whether I'm going to the washroom or just grabbing a quick quick bite to eat. Did you have to ask for permission the first time you did it or every year? Yeah, yeah, I did. Well, now they ask me, but it was, at, it was when I first started, I, I just wrote a letter and I went into my local Sobeys. And I gave it to the store manager, and he called his boss, and they're like, have you heard of this guy? And they're like, no. And then they called the food bank, and they're like, have you heard of Can Man Dan? And they're like, oh, yeah, he kind of does some stuff for us. He's kind of a vigilante almost. Hi, this is Susan with Special Events. How can I help you? Hey, have you heard of Can Man Dan? What do you think of him? What I think of him? I mean, he's a fantastic guy. So then they called their boss, and they're like, yeah, sure, give the kid a chance, see what he can do. Amazingly, Dan has plans to do the Moving Hunger Out campout every year for the rest of his life, as long as his body can handle it. It's, it's very testing of the body, and it's not a lot of fun, but you know what? It's, it just raises such great numbers for you. Just You go back for more punishment every year. But I'm just trying to picture how I'm going to do this when I'm 60 or 70 years old. It might be a little bit tougher then. Life is not getting easier for people out there. As long as I'm living and breathing, I'm going to keep on doing what I, what I do best. And that's just helping people, I guess. Hey, food buffs. We're coming to the end of 2015, which means we've been doing this podcast for nine months. We're really grateful and happy that you've stuck with us as we've learned how to podcast. We're looking forward to a whole new year with you and even more incredible true stories about food. If over the holidays you get bored, hop onto our Facebook page at facebook.com slash foodnonfiction, and you can feel free to send us messages. Or you can email us at feedback at foodnonfiction.com. Thackeray and I are both going off to see our families for the holidays, so we'll be back with stories in January. 
So this is the last episode of this year. We hope you have wonderful holiday times. Happy holidays! Happy holidays! So Lillian, what's your family's holiday meal tradition? Well, we go somewhere warm and with lots of buffets, and we just sit at the buffet for three hours. That sounds delicious. You you will probably have a more heartwarming story than I do. <laughs> well, every year my baba, which is Farsi for father, puts us all to work to help make various Christmas food items, including ashrashte, which is basically a Persian vegetable stew, and then his version of clam chowder, which is amazing. The whole family is put to work, but we're divided tasks based upon our abilities in the kitchen. So my sister, being the other chef in the family, is given the most important tasks, aside from my father, and my brother and my mother are given the next most important tasks. I'm given the worst tasks because I'm not to be trusted in the kitchen. What do you do? <laughs> Mainly washing dishes or certain vegetables. Okay, so you don't cook at all? No, I'm not allowed to cook because I once ruined a very important meal to my father. What did you ruin? Okay, I used to have major attitude about mushrooms. I wouldn't eat mushrooms. Couldn't wrap my hand, head around the fact that they're a fungus and that's what grows on people's feet. You just ruined mushrooms for me. Oh, I'm sorry. I've maybe, not maybe made you should, that connection before. Maybe, maybe you should delete that from <laughs> <laughs> so I don't ruin it for any of our listeners, No, no, too. please continue. So even though I didn't like mushrooms, I was expected to wash the mushrooms this one night. And I'm washing them for a while because they are filthy. They're just like, they're black. And I'm scraping all the black off of them with my fingernail. I'm getting them super clean. And finally, I'm done washing these mushrooms. And I go out and I hand them to my dad. <laughs> I will never forget the look on his face. <laughs> he looks at me in this combination of disbelief and horror. He said, what did you do? I said, I cleaned them. You should buy better mushrooms next time. They're black. And he said, they're supposed to be black. They're shiitake mushrooms. <laughs> You've never seen that before? I, I didn't eat mushrooms. 